Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at BI Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. So today is one of the biggest days in the Grumpy GDPR's short history. I usually always start an episode by saying hello to Ria. So, hi Ria. Hey Miloš. But today is a super special day because we have another guest. We have Alan from the Data Protection Authority of Denmark. Hi, Alan. Hi, Milos. Hi, Rie. So, Alan, um, you usually describe yourself as a crossover between an old-school white hat hacker and a high-court high judge who is bridging both technical and judicial matters in decisions for the Danish DPA where you currently hold position of an ICT security specialist and a master of law. So that's a really impressive background, uh, So since you're combining you know, both technical and judicial expertise, and uh, so excited to talk about the decision of the Danish DPA, which we also previously discussed on this podcast. I'm looking very much forward to it as well. <laughs> So, uh, Alan, we are so excited to have you here with us today. And uh, uh, you told us that you actually listened to a, a couple of our episodes. So the first question is actually, how GDPR grumpy would you say that you are on a scale from zero to ten? I think normally I'm not a grumpy guy. I'm quite just middle of the road guy, but I, I can't be grumpy when people misunderstands or misunderstands my intentions and things like that or uh, yeah, come with some kind of uh, exaggerated uh, exclamation mark around a, a verdict that I have done not being able to read the full text. Yeah, that's that's a great so answer. Quite, quite grumpy. <laughs> yeah, qu quite grumpy sometimes, but more or less not grumpy. Well, it sounds. I think uh, it's the same kind of grumpiness that Milos and myself have, and uh, and this actually leads us to the next question because uh, there seems to be uh, a bit of uh, misconceptions around the recent uh, Google ruling, if you will. So, do you mind giving us just a quick overview of the case matter? What is the gist of the decision, and did you actually ban Google? Uh, let's just start the other way around. We didn't ban Google as Google being Google, but we, we banned some kind of processing actions done by a Danish municipality. And that's a totally different matter. They were just happening to be using Google equipment, Google software, Google operative system. So so in that context, it kind of get mixed up in the in the broader English language, uh, English speaking community of the GDPR and data protection to be a ban against Google and it wasn't. So it could like, it could have been Microsoft or whatever other yeah. vendor name yeah. in that decision. Yeah, you could just substitute the vendor name if the factual uh, circumstances would have been the same. That's a super interesting and a super important point. And I think it's definitely a nuance which is very, very important to take away that this is not an outright ban on Google, but rather a ban on certain approach to handling your processors. And I think that uh, one of your main concerns actually was the level of supervision 
that the controller uh, kind of exercises over their processor, specifically within the context of Article 28. So not only does Article 28 impose an obligation to actually enter into contracts, but it actually imposes an obligation to do what we basically call due diligence, to only engage processors who can basically offer guarantees that they follow the GDPR. Why do you feel that that was not the case in this uh, particular case? Because part of your decision is built around Article 28 arguments. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and that's because you have to start with the beginning, so to speak. Everything has a beginning. And, and in this case, there was a complaint from a father uh, a couple of years back, which we handled and, and made a, a general case against the Helsingør Kommune, the community which are in place, the municipality which are, are the one in, in question here. Uh, and, and that amounted to, to a verdict or, or a ruling from September last year, where we told the community that their risk assessment has not been up to par, but more and more, uh, more commonly uh, and not known in this case, it's it's a Article Six issue. It's a it's a legality issue here because you can't within the framework of the Danish Constitution and the Danish uh, school laws uh, as a municipality give away children's uh, information data in any way if it is not allowed within the the framework of the law. So what what the context of this is is that we see very seriously upon uh, dealing with a data controller, which are giving away data to other data controllers for their use, if it, if it should happen, because in Danish law, that would be unlawful for, for the community, for the municipality. And, 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 and a legal issue is a no-no, a big no-no in Danish law, because the legality uh, has to be in place for foremost. Uh, it's the first thing that you have to to deal with as a uh, public body in Denmark, so to speak. So, so you have to to address it that way around. And if they haven't got a, a, a legal obligation or legal uh, right to do a thing, then it is a big no-no. And, and that's where they haven't even assessed if the whole stack they were using. Uh, hardware, operative system, and software on top of that. If there was any uh, interference or data leaking out in the bottom, or by all means, by contractual clauses, uh, a right for the processor to use this as a controller for their own purposes. So, so, just so to you have sure. to have yep. that context. Just to make sure then uh, that I'm following along correctly. So essentially the issue uh, or the primary kind of uh, first issue in this case was that under Danish law, one controller cannot disclose this data to another independent controller who would then reuse this data for their own purposes. But they are certainly allowed to use a data processor and to engage in joint controllership activities for the same processing, correct? Uh, yes, as long as the joint controller processing is not a way of giving away data anyhow. So, so it, there is a slim line, there's a nice edge to walk there, but it is possible to construct situations where it could be possible with joint controllership. But uh, 
it is very it's a very thin line in Danish law, especially being a a governmental body, a municipality in this case, because often they don't have the right in law to disclose data for other data controllers. Yeah, but they can use data processors, right? And that's of course the they can. Of the, course yeah. they can. <laughs> and but that's the, there... the next uh, the next line yeah. we are going into in a little while. Yeah. But is there any, um, in, in our previous episode, I mentioned that, you know, Google doesn't exactly sound like a data processor, but uh, do you have any specific evidence to indicate that Google was actually reusing data for purposes which were not stipulated in the original processing agreement, that they were breaching the DPA and that they were acting as an independent data controller? Uh, not, not as such in the concrete case, but... Uh, as you know, or both know maybe, the Dutch uh, Ministry of Justice and the, the Dutch uh, Ministry of uh, yeah, it, I think it was I think it was the the Justice of Education or something as a it, the, their education uh, ministry who had made a, a assessment of the same tools being used here, the same kind of processing with the same kind of software. And and they came to the conclusion that they had to make a, make a, a DPIA under Article 35, and even when they did a DPIA, they were stuck with uh, I think eight unsolved or still high unmitigated risks in in that kind of uh, processing, whereas six of these were relating to uh different kinds of scenarios where data went from the original controller to uh the processor either by contract as stipulated in that for the process uh, processor's own use as a, a a data controller or uh in between the different layers hardware operative system and software uh unexplicably so those unsolved questions, we were quite baffled to see that they wasn't uh, present in the Helsinger uh, risk assessment at all. Yeah, and this is a known oh, challenge think, yeah. in in, uh, in terms of data processing agreements, right? Especially with the huge tech vendors that have, where people feel that this is something that I just have to accept. We can't negotiate, and we've seen that with with uh, most of the hyperscalers and the big vendors that they have provisions in the DPAs where they say that we you instruct us to use uh, personal data for our own purposes as well. So it's really critical that you actually review the agreements that you enter into with the processors uh, first to get rid of any such provisions. So, but uh, as I understood this case, this wasn't explicitly the case in uh, with, uh, with Helsingør. This related first to the use of additional services, which shouldn't have been activated, but was still that they uh, later switched off. And uh, second, that they raised the risk of Google actually breaching the data processing agreement. Which leads us to another question. So would you say that there actually would exist a zero risk of a contract breach? I, I don't think I, I don't see this as a zero risk of a contract breach at, at all. Uh, here, if you read the, the decision in Danish, you would see that it was the, the, 
the total amount of things going on between the way the processing was done on the stack and the services they have chosen as a municipality in concrete in the in the in the absolute sense weighed against what we knew from other DPAs and other scenarios have making have made uh, their risk assessments are based on the same stack and and seeing that in a total light it was just uh, we were not convinced under article 52 and article 24 that they have shown us we were not uh, uh, certain within our souls that they have covered every ground within the the field of what they had to do to to make us sound to make a sound uh, assumption at the Danish DPA's behalf that this was okay so so that was that total amounting and if you see the decision you will see it's a 52 going to 51 uh, decision article 52 using that the, they haven't documented and it's a 24 decision as well going up against the 218 uh, 20, uh, 20, 28 situation where we say that they haven't documented that they are in total control so so you have to see it that way around we were not convinced by the 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 amount of uh, documentation that they have sent but alan and i mean we will do a deep dive into dpa and 35 and all the inherent risks of this but again just for the purposes solely of article 28 they've basically mm. said look uh we have no evidence to suggest that they're repurposing this data we only have this contract where google commits not to repurpose data for marketing purposes of course we cannot guarantee that google is not going to breach this contract and a big part of your decision was actually this exact sentence that they cannot guarantee that google is not going to breach the contract and i just find that uh, to be worrisome because obviously you know nobody can ever guarantee that their processor is not going to breach the contract and uh, given your IT expertise I mean what are you going to do aside from believing and I truly believe that you know not being a huge yeah. fan of Google but I really believe that there is no risk here that Google would actually repurpose data but you know how do you check do you you know you ask them to open up the data center you know they bring the old ancient key you get in yeah. you plug into their computer and what do you do Normally, 28 one wise, uh, we settle for the, the conclusion that we believe in what the processor are telling us. So you were right to be grumpy if that should have been the only, <laughs> only thing in this decision which have talked we talked about. But because of the issue, or maybe because of sheer excitement, you were grumpy without a cause on your last episode because. <laughs> Because if, if if indeed we would have said that this was the only grounds on which to say that we wasn't we were we weren't satisfied with the documentation applied to us, I think it would have been a problem. Because normally we tend to believe what our data processes are telling us, uh, especially if we have no grounds to to uh, to do otherwise. So so that's the the fair assumption around 28.1. But if we should know something, if we know that they are lax on, on physical security or lax on their UPS services or, or whatever it is, then we have an obligation to look further into it. But 
as a as a whole, uh, that in itself that they say that they are confirmed, uh, like confined to do things in a in a certain way, that is okay. Twenty eight one wise, unless it is stipulated in the whole material that there could be a problem somewhere. And in this case, the Danish uh, authorities, the Danish DPAs, uh, thought, looking at the Dutch decision and looking at other other problems in the market, seeing, okay, it's a, a little peculiar that they haven't touched on this at all. And that, in total, made us not to see that it was fully documented. That's why it's a 24 regarding 21 and a 28-1 decision, and not a clean 28-1 decision. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much for clarifying. Yeah, there is definitely a broader context here, and you've also tied it into 35 and into many other things, but I fully, fully agree. If this had been an isolated incident or an isolated thing, we would have looked at it a bit differently. And a bit way more grumpy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> either either more grumpy or honestly dissatisfied with the, <laughs> the data controller. But but here you, we have to look at this in a broader sense and and in light of the whole processing done by the municipality. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, clarification, uh, Alan. Thank you for that. So. Uh, Looking to next, uh, going forward, so what should others do now? And what should the municipality, what do they actually specifically need to do now to get in line with your decision? Yeah, for, for a start, they have to assure the Danish DPA that they have covered all known problems in the stack and within that processing they are doing with this product and, and the uh, different kind of uh, operative system and, and software on top of that. And, and that is normally a, a general way of, of doing due diligence before going into a, a processing uh, situation because you have to make these assessments beforehand or as, as soon as your service changes, things like that, because you have to evaluate uh, continuously that this is within the scope of the GDPR. And uh, if it is within the scope of the GDPR, does it comply? And is it okay still to be using that kind of service? And, and, and that's the problem here uh, in this case. We haven't seen that documentation yet. So, so they have to produce with all known uh, difficulties uh, in this stack and, and known problems in this stack, what to, what to, what to, how to mitigate that. Yeah, and I think that's also a crucial point to get across to people that this decision relates to basic GDPR compliance requirements and uh, not necessarily to the, to the next uh, level of uh, SHREMS 2 and US transfers and uh, all that good stuff. So basic compliance, I think, is, um, is key here as well. Yeah, it's, it's the main body of the decision. There is, of course, a third country uh, aspect as well, and we can maybe get to that a little later. But, but the problem, the ban that was issued was issued on behalf of the more uh, normal GDPR stuff. It's uh, 
essential foundational, I would say, uh, GDPR problems and not being able to make a, a good risk assessment, not being able to assess whether or not you are uh, in scope of a DPIA and not being able to uh, yeah, see if there is a high risk which is unmitigated, which should make you contact your local DPA under Article 36. Yes. Well, I have to say that I still disagree that these are very basic questions. You know, I can't see <laughs> okay. why a small yeah. municipality would, um, especially thinking about risks. You know, I, I see your angle. Uh, we started one of our previous episodes by saying, yes, you know, nobody should be creating YouTube accounts for kids. Um, but it's so hard to describe these risks, right? Especially when you think about how most of them are, have such low probability. So I don't think it's easy for municipalities. I don't think it's as you know, easy as saying Article 5, Article 6, enter into the, the DPS. I mean, um, yeah, when teaching, I just see so many instances of people who are really trying to do the right thing, but this is not easy. No, no, I, I, it wasn't to, to, Nick, to, to talk it down or, or something like that. Uh, you have to respect that in Denmark, uh, the municipalities are highly skilled people and they have a, a highly skilled organization to do their things. Even if it is a smaller municipality, uh, they should be able to do this because we confer our data. We have no choice. And that's an, an important aspect as well. We, as citizens, I have no choice but to use my municipality for the services that the government have laid out for them to do. So, so they have to be able to assess, and, and that why I call them basic uh, GDPR stuff, it's because legality for a public Danish uh, authority should be first and foremost, the, the principle of legality is the essential foundation of a democratic society. So, so, so it's in, in that way, I see it as basic GDPR, not uh, it is, easy to make a risk assessment or DPIA or something like that. Yeah, and I, I have to say, Alan, I, I absolutely agree with you here, because I think when we talk about basic compliance, we think about uh, Article 32, we think about the initial risk assessment for the use of any software or tool. And, um, and Milos, I, I have to say that uh, I would absolutely expect a municipality to conduct basic risk assessments before starting to use, uh, especially uh, technology in new ways, for example, in the education system. And the more, what I view as the more complex parts of this relate to the transfers, whether or not is it a transfer, whether or not does uh, problematic US laws apply. That's what I call the next level uh, compliance. But uh, conducting a risk assessment, uh, I, do you see that as non, not, it's not easy per se, but it's not uh, unfeasible? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, but bearing in mind the background of this case, from what I understand, uh, initially a few years back, they were asked to do risk assessment. They have then supplied their risk assessment, which was then found to be unsatisfactory, partly because they haven't fully uh, mapped out Google's responsibilities and so forth. So all I'm trying to say is that actually going in depth in that risk assessment and trying to mitigate risks which are either very unlikely to occur or so far removed from processing that it's objectively difficult to map them out is where it gets complex. So, you know, a basic DPA, 
Sure, everybody can do that. Put in, you know, sensible measures. Check from time to time which features are turned on. Put some organizational and technical measures. Sure, but from what I understand, they had already promised to do that. The problem was that that was not necessarily enough in itself. But I'm probably no. putting words in your mouth, Alan, here. No, so. no, no, no. If it, if it was as simple as that, you were not putting words in my mouth. But but the problem was that the Danish DPA used a lot of power and and, and crayon on the first uh, decision in September to explain that uh, what the boundaries of the Danish uh, school laws were within what what data could be used in the municipality and what could not be given to another. And, and that was quite a hint from my point of view to make a deeper assessment, not just to, 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 to skate over the ice on that one and just not do anything. Yeah, for sure. And we, I think we can do a whole episode on like, now I got very curious about how a local law can limit uh, controllers, uh, yes, L let's not get into that whole thing. <laughs> uh, but Ria, you mentioned uh, international data transfers. Yeah. Yes, should those we, are, of course, uh, very, uh, I think a lot of people are very curious about this because you have a US-based entity with a subsidiary in the EU and uh, with all personal data stored physically in the EU, but with uh, transfers uh, in the form of uh, potential support requests. So could you uh, speak a little bit to that, please, Alan? Yeah. Uh, if, if anybody has read the Danish cloud uh, guidance, the guidance in cloud in English as well, uh, available on the Danish, here's a little commercial, available on the Danish DPA's uh, homepage, uh, you would see that we have a, a definition where if it is stipulated within the contract as uh, going on, as a legal way of doing things, we say that you as the controller has to have your chapter five. We call it, a, 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 in, in Danish, we call it a tilsik. It is, it is something that you have foreseen. You have foreseen that there will be a transfer. And then you have to have your chapter five totally in, in line. But if, if, it, if your uh, data processor uses the data in a way that, that is not stipulated within the contract, then it is an unforeseen thing. And then we are in Article 28.1 territory. Uh, subsequently, 28.10 for the processor doing something in breach of the, the contract or the instruction from the data controller. But was that the case here? The, the case here was that it was stipulated in the contract that these support situations uh, were taken care of. and. And if you read the, the whole list of uh, data, potential data processors uh, from Google uh, in this contract framework, there's a lot more than the US in play here. And we just stipulate that for those, you either have to, to say that they are never making support for you, uh, because as it is stated right now, you have a lot of chapter five that is unsolved in this case, because it's Singapore and India and a lot of other places, uh, but they have only only covered the U.S. and and the Google LLC in the U.S. could make in certain cases support 
uh, concerning personal data from the the Danish controller, the Helsingør municipality. That was stated in the contract. So in those cases, there was a there was a transfer under Chapter Five, and uh, we uh, in this uh, decision considered that the the tools regarding such a transfer were not in place, were not effective, was not giving the data subjects the same kind of a level of protection as EU law uh, would demand. In what way? Yeah, in this way, uh, it is very... We, we, we looked at the FISA 702 and, and the, the presidential executive order and, and, and tried to solve if it, this would be uh, a, a case where they could, uh, if they would, in the U.S. go in and take the data which were present in clear text. So if you remember the EDPB guidance 01-2020, the one on supplementary measures, uh, it is stated that if text is available in clear text, it's example six as, as far as I can remember, is available in clear text in the U.S., uh, the EDPB sees that there is no tool uh, who could uh, yeah, fix that problem uh, even under the, the, the new standard contract clauses. Assuming that FISA 702 would indeed Applies, be, yeah, yes, be applicable yeah. in, that, uh, in that particular transfer. And I think uh, we're going to see more on that uh, going forward to, to see clarify really when can U.S. authorities actually leverage uh, Section 702 of, uh, of FISA? So, um, and this isn't easy. This is the part where it's really tricky and where we got super grumpy because uh, sitting here in Europe trying to assess U.S. foreign law is, uh, is really <laughs> complex. And although we have the Court of Justice ruling, the Schrems II ruling, it's still a matter of assessing your specific transfer for your specific situation and whether or not FISA 702 actually apply to that. Yeah, we totally agree. Uh, but the problem is that the, the EU Court of Justice has done us, if not a, a very, have done this to a very hard task because if they have just followed the general advocate's uh, ruling uh, uh, and, and some of his uh, takes on how to do this, we could have been a lot more pragmatic than we are right now. I have a binding EU law ruling saying that, uh, and, and disregarding the more pragmatic views of the general advocate, because that would have been a lot easier uh, for the DPAs as well, if, if that would have been the case. But they overruled him very harshly, I think, and indeed, in their ruling, in the EU ruling, and, and they could as well have made a more pragmatic view on this, but they had a very hard stance uh, on, yes, on the grand general principles in Article 20, uh, 44, saying that every, every transfer should meet this very high uh, bar of, of, and then there is a long list, but rule of law, the four essential guarantees essentially <laughs> yeah 
So thank you so much for your time today, Alan. And I think just to wrap up, it would be great to hear what you see going forward in terms of the GDPR and the third country transfers. Will we see a deal on the table between Europe and the US anytime soon? What's your predictions? I, I think that we will see a, a deal between the Commission and, and the US, but if that's a deal that the EDPB and the EDPS, form, foremost the EDPS, will find satisfying under the general uh, conception of the EU court judgment, that's another case to see because I think there will be a lot of grumpiness going around. <laughs> in uh, the corners, uh, if and it only solves the, the problem partially, it would be a temporary solution just awaiting a shrimp's tree case. And, and that would be neither fair for the processors or the controllers and the data subject as well, because it's only, yeah, it's a, it's a legal limbo to be in. Well, at least it would be good for small municipalities. <laughs> it, it, I, I think I think if if we get if of course if we get a a, a a deal from the commission, which will be sanctioned as a which we will go through all the phases of of uh, and be be valid, uh, that then it's okay. Then I, we have nothing to do as a DPA because that's on the commission should. So so and they will have. To, to amend for the EU Court of Justice. Maybe we could uh, hope that, that there was a, a more pragmatic verdict that uh, next time, but uh, the problem is being fundamental rights at the stake here. I, I see it very hard for the EU Court of Justice to deviate from that course that they have taken right now because it is fundamental it's charter stuff it's 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 a problem to deviate or to dilute dilute in any sort of way so i think we are up it's it's kind of a mishmash between the way the internet and the world of technology is progressing and the legal foundations and how we uh, ex-territorial want to to make it certain a certainty that our citizens are treated well and equal thank you so much for that uh, for that explanation and uh, you know uh, perhaps you would be willing to uh, coming one more time and we could perhaps talk about court of justice's different takes on different core ac aspects of uh, data protection but thank you so much for your time thank you for setting an incredible example of great public administration and uh, i wish you a very nice week ahead thanks alan same to you yeah thank you very much and thank you for your kind participation on this and letting me in of course of course bye for now bye.